So we're going to hear a message this morning, and I call it Her Story. We're coming out of Luke, verse, uh, chapter 7, verses 36 to 52. She was there, ready and waiting for him to arrive. Her heart was elated, yet she was nervous and very careful to stay in the shadows of shame and scorn. After all, she knew she was unclean, according to the Jewish laws. So their eyes, those of the pious Pharisees, she was to be despised. She was very acquainted with shame, and its grace covered her life. How well she knew the treatment she would receive, and left she kept far away from them. The men began arriving. Then out of the corner of her eye, she sees him. Oh, here he comes. Jesus, the hope of salvation. She waited expectantly with a small vial of perfume clutched in the palm of her hand. Then when the men were lounging around the table facing their host, Simon, she quietly entered the room with tears filling her eyes and love overflowing in her heart knowing the shame and the scorn that she would draw from Simon and his guests. She must keep her eyes on Jesus. She made her way through the group with her eyes filled with tears, focused on this one thing. She made her way to Jesus, who was the lover of sinners of which she was one. Her heart began to be filled with hope, hope for herself, and hope for all those that she represented. As she reached him, the tears began to flow down her face and onto his feet, feet unattended to by Simon, the pharmaceutical host, feet that were dusty and dirty from the long day of ministering to the masses in the surrounding villages on the countryside. Earlier that day, the villagers had formed crowds and followed him along the way of his journey. She had been one of them. She had seen the miracles, the signs, and the wonders, and she had heard his teaching of love and forgiveness. Then when she heard he was coming to her village, to the house of Simon for dinner, she ran ahead and she gathered up the perfume so she could meet him there to worship him and anoint his feet with perfume, which she was now clutching tightly. She had purposed in her heart to pour out her love offering of worship of her Savior. Little did she know that Simon would not greet his guest with a kiss, anoint his head with oil, nor would he have uh, provided Jesus water for washing of his feet. So as she approached him, her tears flowing down upon his dusty, dirty face, she let her hair down. And as she did, she washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair as she continually kissed his feet. Then without any consideration as to who was watching, she opened the vial of perfume, anointed his feet, and kissed them in continuous acts of love and devotion. She lost herself fully in pouring out her undivided love and adoration and worship. That is her story. We look now to the biblical setting of Luke 7. The story of devotion is found in Luke 7. It's an example of empowered forgiveness, which is our message this morning. 
So we'll read from Luke, and it's in the overhead. One of the Pharisees asked him over for a meal. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down, literally laid around, at the dinner table. Just then a woman of the village, the town harlot, having learned that Jesus would be a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet, weeping, raining tears on his feet. Letting her hair down, she dried his feet, kissed them, and anointed them with perfume. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was the prophet that I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman it is who's falling all over him. Jesus said to Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me. Two men were in debt to a banker. One owed 500 silver pieces, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up, and so the banker canceled both debts. Which of the two would be more grateful? Simon answered, I suppose the one that was forgiven the most. That's right, said Jesus. Then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, Do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet. She rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing for freshening up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins. And so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. Then he spoke to her, I forgive you your sins. That said the dinner guest talking behind his back. Who does he think he is forgiving sins? He ignored them and said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The people in this story, Simon is the host of the dinner, and he was a Pharisee. Simon was a member of that religious sect, and the Pharisees uh, were the guests that he invited to meet this person, Jesus. The Pharisees occupied a predominant position in the synagogue during Jesus' day. They viewed themselves as the most righteous, the best, the holiest, and the leaders of, that, of the people. They took the extensive laws of the Old Testament covenant, and they multiplied and made them ridiculously specific. Their entire lives evolved around proving to themselves and to God and to others just how great they were because they knew how to keep the externalities of the laws according to how they had written them. Their eyes and their hearts, because of their pharisaical attitudes, were far from God, despite what they may say or think. This group believed in the literal application of the Jewish law requiring holiness, applying a practice of separation from anything that, uh, or anyone who might be unclean. They kept themselves separate from the unclean things, unclean people, that means sinners, a group of people of sick that are sick, people who are, are women who are in their monthly cycle. They um, avoided graves and dead bodies, and they even went to such extremes as whitewashing the graves to warn others of the unclean burial sites. 
they made a regular practice of walking on the other side of the street from those things and those people considered to be unclean. As a whole, they were well known to practice self-righteousness, pride, judgmental attitudes of others, condemning others, and separating themselves from everything unclean or unholy or might be unclean or unholy. They were often referred to as the separatists. Jesus of Nazareth was Simon's guest, or at least he was the point of attention for Simon and the other Pharisees that were present. The woman, an uninvited harlot, seeped in a life of shame. The woman had, been, had seen Jesus, heard his message, believed it. And she was filled with hope, and she set her eyes on the one who offered that hope. So what were the agendas? Well, Simon's agenda was to check out this man, Jesus. What is Jesus about? Is he a prophet? Is his message believable? How did it compare with that of the Pharisees, uh, what the Pharisees believe? Who did he claim to be? What do we do with him or about him? Should he be resisted? uh, Sorry, resisted, opposed, ignored, or recruited to the other side. Jesus' agenda is light in the darkness. He wanted to represent love and truth. His desire was to see captives set free and win those that were lost. He could identify pride and self-righteousness so that those living in it might see it and choose a path to humility and compassion. He was wanting to show that forgiveness is the way of salvation, not works. Jesus' target was Simon and the Pharisees and the lost generally. He who would have ears, let him hear. And he also wanted reconciliation with God available to him. So what was Simon's reasoning or logic in this process? If Jesus is a prophet, he would have known this woman's character. And therefore, Jesus would have nothing to do with a sinner, this woman. And that's based on the presumption that Jesus must be a separatist in order to be holy. The problem with Simon's logic is his output is only as reliable as his input. Simon only knew what he knew. Simon's premise is that if Jesus is a prophet, he would discern the character of those around him, especially that of the woman. And she would have been confronted or at least shunned in order for Jesus to maintain his holiness. However, Jesus did discern the character of those around him. His discernment exceeded that of what Simon's expectations were, as Jesus not only detected the character of the woman, but he also detected the thoughts and the character of Simon. Verse 49, or 39, we see that what Simon is thinking. Simon is thinking, if this man was the prophet that I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who's falling all over him. Well, Jesus did discern that. He, he discerned the true character. And he proved that the sins of the woman were many in verse 47. 
by conveying to Simon he knew his thoughts in verse 48 as it relates to who was forgiven the most, that being the woman recipient with her many sins, resulting in her being very, very grateful. Yet the other who invited him, that is Simon, gave Jesus no water for his feet, did not greet him with a kiss, gave him nothing for freshening himself up. His gratitude of Jesus was minimal. And for that, for what he was forgiven according to Simon's thinking, would have been minimal. Minimal sins forgiven. Simon's perception of all of this was quite twisted. However, Jesus revealed a great deal more about Simon's actions, inactions, thoughts, and attitudes right in front of everyone. And Simon was found lacking. Therefore, using Simon's standards and reasoning, Jesus was at least a prophet. So Simon was right on that point. Jesus second, oh, sorry, Simon's second premise was incorrect, for it, it reflected the erroneous thinking of the Pharisees. The Pharisee means separate, with the presumption that holiness is achieved by keeping oneself separate and apart from sin and sinners. Thus, based on this premise, the Pharisees believe that Jesus would have shunned the attention of the sinful woman in order to maintain uh, and remain clean and holy. The presumption of Simon and the Pharisees was that either Jesus did not discern the woman's character or, or whether or not he knew about her sinfulness, he was physically contaminated by her and could not be holy. So even if he didn't shun her, the fact that he was close to her would make him unholy. I don't know how many of you can picture Jesus as being unholy, but it's an impossibility in my mind. Jesus' words in verses 40 to 47 addresses the Pharisees' concern, and he exposes the error of the pharmaceutical thinking and explains why the Holy One of Israel would draw near to sinners even so much as to be touched or to touch them. Jesus' explanation involves the metaphor that he tells in the story. It demonstrates why he would associate with sinners, and then he extracted the principle from it. So why associate with a woman who's a sinner? Jesus said to Simon, this is in verses 40 to 42, I have something to tell you, and Simon replied, Oh, tell me. And Jesus said, Two men were in debt to a banker, one owed 500 silver pieces, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up, and so the banker canceled both debts. Which of the two would be more grateful? The principle, again, is for those who are forgiven much, love much. So let's look at the application to that law. Simon shunned the woman as a sinner who must be shamed and scorned. Jesus rebuked Simon, showing in every respect she had outdone Simon in her acts of love and devotion. Simon failed the custom and courtesy of washing Jesus' feet as he was his guest. Yet the woman washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. Simon did not kiss Jesus' face as, uh, as a welcome, yet the woman did not cease from kissing Jesus' feet. Simon did not anoint Jesus' head with oil, yet the woman anointed his feet 
with expensive perfume. The woman had outdone Simon in acts of love to Jesus. The conclusion? The woman who was in Simon's mind the greater sinner was in fact the greater lover of Jesus. For the one forgiven much, loves much. She loved because she was accepted and forgiven. And this was a natural response to grace. Remember, the, the woman could not earn her forgiveness by her acts. Rather, in this incident, she was celebrating her access to forgiveness by lavishing love and devotion to the Savior who was the source of that forgiveness. There's a collateral issue here. Why does Jesus seek out and associate with sinners? Jesus' response to Simon is the key. Simon, I seek out and associate with them because they love me more, implying they love more than the self-righteous Pharisees do. So self-righteousness is the unspoken issue in this text. The Pharisees were not humble. They were puffed up with pride. And they used a faulty standard of comparing themselves with others rather than looking to God himself. But in light of Isaiah 6 description of coming into the very presence of God, these men were blindly and blatantly in the very presence of God and had no idea their object of scorn was the Holy Son of God. So we're going to take a peek at Isaiah 6. Verse 1 and then 5. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the king, I saw the Lord, sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. And verse 5. And then I said, Woe is me. I am ruined, I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Surely these Pharisees were aware of Isaiah 6 passage, yet they were completely unaware of who this Jesus is. To the point of their failure to honor and worship Jesus, the Holy Son of the living God. This truly reflects the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees of that day. There's another lesson in this lesson. It's a lesson in body language. Body language speaks louder than words. All through the dinner, Jesus had his back to the woman who was anointing and kissing his feet. At that time, Jesus faced his host, Simon. At Simon's rejection of Jesus which is revealed via Jesus' story that contrasts the woman's worship of Jesus to Simon's failure to, as the host to greet, wash his feet, or anoint his head. At that very point, Jesus turns his back on Simon and he faces the woman even as he continu- continued to talk to Simon. His body language indicates he was rejecting Simon and accepting the woman. The conclusion, verses 48 to 50, he spoke to her, I forgive your sins. That set the dinner guest talking behind his back. 
Who does he think he is to forgive sins? He ignored them and said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So note Jesus' words to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He did not say your feet washing, tears, love, perfume saved you. Rather, he clearly stated to the woman and to all of us today, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So the woman had believed that if she came to Jesus as a repentant sinner, Jesus would not send her away. And she was correct. This was her faith. The bad news for the Pharisees is that Jesus' confrontation is that the son of the living God, Jesus himself, associates with sinners, which was good news to the woman because she acknowledged that she was a sinner. Yet it was bad news for those who hardened their hearts in self-righteousness and state that, in a self-righteous state. They missed the mark. They could not see it. It is worthy to note that what is not said about the Pharisees' response to Jesus' story. There is no report that any of the Pharisees turned to Jesus, confessed their sins, nor any other reportable incident of repentance. The Pharisees were left to their own fate. They were either quickened and awakened to the Son of God and his love and his forgiveness in their lifetimes, or they were lost in their self-deception for eternity. The Pharisees in today's story represent many people today who must choose to either turn their face to Jesus and walk in his empowering forgiveness or turn their backs away from his penetrating gaze. From this story, we find a call to caution ahead. We are not called to become separatists from sinners as the Pharisees. Rather, we are called to separate ourselves from sin itself. We're called to love the sinner, and that involves knowing, loving, accepting, and in that process, helping them to come to know Christ, who alone can forgive them and give them new life. There is no room for us to become modern-day Pharisees, judging, condemning, Separating ourselves from a lost and dying world. There's no, there's no place for that. There's no place for shaking our heads and wagging our tongues and shutting down our hearts. There's no place for that. We're not called to be separatists from the world. We're called to be Christ's living witnesses and channels of his empowering forgiveness by drawing the outcast inside to safety, security, God's love and his forgiveness. My prayer today is that we become empowered instruments of forgiveness, forming a bridge between the lost and the Savior who died for them and for us. So in closing, I'd like to make a few remarks and then invite people to come forward to have prayer at the altar for the prayer warriors and prayer ministers, if you would be ready for that. Some of us today are still feeling some shame and the scorn of others, like this woman. We've carried that shame from our earliest remembrances, and its sticky claws are still clinging to us, although we know Christ and his forgiveness. Jesus does not want you to walk in shame. 
or have you carry anything or for any reason carry it. Let him break that condemnation and that shame. Separate yourselves from it and be free. Others have felt that your failure was too big to be forgiven or repeated too often to deserve another chance. Well, Jesus is, is really telling us today he's not counting our failures, but he is counting on us to come to him, get rid of those things once and for all. Some of us are discouraged and confused or just wondering where to go and what to do with some of the stuff that we carry, and Jesus is here. He's ready for you to offload it here. You go walk away from it today. But there's also a very special group of people here today who need to meet with Jesus at the altar. Today is the day to rededicate your lives to be his witnesses and not to be his record keepers for the sin of others and their failures. He's calling us to repent of any residues of judgmental thinking of pride and self-righteousness, comparing our values to those of the lost. He's calling us to pray for the lost and to weep over the plight of of their condition. He's especially calling you because he's given you the eyes to see these things. Now he wants to give you the heart of love and, and intercession for the plight of those lost ones. So it's time to go fishing, and he wants to equip and empower you for the next phase of your journey. And there's always a place at the altar for those who want to worship Jesus, just as the woman came into the room that day for that very purpose. And there's always room at this altar for you to come and worship him. So, Holy Spirit, we are welcoming your empowering presence. Would you like to stand? And we're going to get ready to close up. We welcome your empowering presence this morning. And we ask you to bind the words of, our, of this message to our hearts and to our minds today. Lord, birth a new vision for and a new call to intercession for the lost and specifically that the lost might discover your empowering forgiveness and come home to you soon. So for those of you that would like to come forward for prayer, please make your way up. And uh, the prayer partners, we desperately need you. Claire and Randy are not here, so the rest of you get to fill in the gap. And um, we just expect a special anointing this morning. So um, we'll be closing now. Uh, The service has come to an end. The children will be ready at the children's ministry. You can pick them up there. And we thank you that you are sharing today with us, and we hope that you will return next week and that you have been blessed um, for our time together. So thank you.